everybody else. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter... Sorry, Larry. It's just a mic. It's just money. Annalise, would you please take this from me? How'd you like that arranged marriage thing, huh? <laughs> I'm thinking that sounds pretty good, don't you? Acts chapter 2. Um, I, I do want to cue you up. I'm not sure that I can get this done in the normal allotted time, but give me five extra minutes or so. It's going to be worth it. Um, here's, here's why I'm saying this. How do you think Tom's wife, in a dream, sees this Catholic church and is assured of her daughter in a wedding dress? How does that happen? What is the dynamic that takes place in order for that to occur? Now, some of you may say, well, it's just, you know, her subconscious trying to, you know, hoping for a wedding for their daughter. She's so hopeful. And look, here's what we believe. We believe that God has placed his presence inside of us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, in order to lead and guide us. There's a dynamic that takes place uh, through the power and presence of the Spirit of God. And over the next weeks, uh, June the 5th, which is two weeks from today, is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. And so I thought what we would do is for this Sunday, next Sunday, and Pentecost Sunday, talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Many times, how many of you ever are out like in the community and you say to someone, I go to fullness, and uh, their first question is, where is that? Because they don't know where we are. And we're trying to help increase our you know, visibility so people at least know where we are. But second, they'll ask something like this, what kind of church is that? What kind of church is fullness? And you, you struggle with words. And usually say something like this, well, what do you mean? What kind of church is that? Well, is it, is it Pentecostal? Is it Baptist? Is it charismatic? Is it... So I'm going to try and help you answer some of those questions. So that when someone asks you, what is fullness? As far as the person and work of the Holy Spirit, you can answer that question a little more... Um, I don't want to say intelligently, because that's not the word I'm looking for, but accurately. How about that? Accurately. So today, we're going to talk about the day of Pentecost. I know Pentecost Sunday is two weeks from today, but for the next two Sundays, I want to talk about what happened at Pentecost in us and through us and to us. But So I'm going to start today by talking about the day of Pentecost. And, and I want to say this, the coming of the Holy Spirit is a big deal. Big deal. I feel like President Trump, it's big, huge. Um, the Holy Spirit is power, and without his presence, we lack the power that is necessary to live the Christian life. This is the bottom line to me. You cannot live the Christian life without the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's like building a house with all the latest gadgets and technology, but never running power into the house. It won't work. The things you've put in there um, in, intellectually or systematically, they will not run without the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus went to the cross 
raised from the dead, stays with his followers about 40 days, teaching them, fellowshipping with them. Then he goes to um, the mountaintop, Mount of Olives, and he's with his followers, about 120 of them at this point is all that's left. Think about this, three years, basically 120 is what Jesus has. And he says to them, hey, go, wait till power comes upon you, then go be my disciples. Go be my witnesses to the, to the world. So Jesus ascends into the heavens. The 120, the people are standing there. They're looking up into heaven like, okay, what's next? And two men, angels, really appear to them and say, hey, the same Jesus, he's going to appear just like he left. And they say, okay, great. Then they go to an upper room and start to pray and start to wait for this coming of power, which they don't know what they're waiting for, really. They don't know how long they're going to wait. They, don't, they just don't know. And here's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verses 5 and following. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? You get the picture of the miracle of the day of Pentecost. They're praying in the upper room. Loud wind comes, a loud sound. Tongues like a fire come upon them. They receive the coming of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues, but... In this case, it's also a language that the people from every nation that have gathered there for the Feast of Pentecost, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, hear in their own language, and they recognize, hey, this can't be these dudes because they are uneducated Galileans. These guys barely made it out of middle school. They don't know all these languages. There's something going on here. Skipping to verse 11. We hear them declaring. They're not just declaring anything, by the way. They are declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. By the way, I'm not going to stay here long, but this is pretty much the reaction of the world when faced with the power of God. Questioning or mocking? Questioning or mocking? There are some who will be drawn and say, what is, this has got to mean something. What does it mean? And there are others who are going to make fun because that's the way the enemy works. He wants it dismissed, whatever God may be doing. But what I want to answer is their question, what does this mean? 
And what does this mean to us personally? What does this mean to us as a church? What does this mean? <clears throat> From day one, fullness has been a church that fully embraced the power and presence of the Spirit of God. What does that mean to us? What does that mean to who we are and how we live the Christian life? Because I, I, I want to tell you this, and you may not hear me say much else here today, and you know, I know the, the Holy Spirit has both been minimized, the Holy Spirit has been um, ridiculed, really. The weirdness that surrounds many who follow the person and work of the Holy Spirit has diminished his uh, effectiveness in our life. We've dismissed him because of the weirdos. Um, I know I was very guilty of that. But here's what I want to say. You cannot live the Christian life without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Bottom line, you cannot do it. So let's talk about what, what does this mean, this day of Pentecost. And the first point is this. He is the promise fulfilled. He is the promise fulfilled. The, whole, the coming of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of God's promises made in the Old Testament. Um, without going into a lot of detail, there were three major feast days from the Old Testament, all which in some way harken back to the Exodus experience. There's first the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover, if you'll remember, the nation of Israel was in Egypt. And the last of the plagues that happened in Egypt before they were, they were released was the coming of the angel of death, which killed the firstborn of all the Egyptian households, but passed over the homes of those who had done what? They spread the blood of a killed lamb over the doorpost. And as a result, the angel of death passed over that home. Now, in, in, a, in a Christian sense, a New Testament sense, the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover is found in the cross of Christ. The result of salvation. The blood of the Lamb was shed so that the result of death, of sin, would pass over us. It's a result of salvation. Then there's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is what occurs... 50 days after Passover, hence the term Penta, five, Pentecost. Now, here, here's the deal, and I'm not getting into the feast days. There's so much symbolism in them. Maybe someday in the future I'll, I'll do a sermon series on the feasts. I, I haven't ever really done that, and it'd be fun to look at. But it's like saying to someone, hey, it's the 4th of July. See, now, when I say it's the 4th of July, you know what that means. 4th of July, independence, freedom, declaration of independence, the birth of our country. We know that because we are raised in this culture. But when it comes to Pentecost, it's just a word to us. We don't know it. But the Jews knew well what Pentecost was. Because they, 50 days after they left Egypt, they end up at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments are given. Now think about the first, by the way, the third feast, which I'm not going to talk about at all, is the Feast of Tabernacles, which also is Old Testament. But think about the first, past, first Pentecost, first time 50 days after. On that day, 
this cloud descends with a loud noise and with fire on the mountain. And there God wrote his law on tablets of stone. And they build the golden calf. They worship, they reject God, they build the golden calf, and how many people died that day? 3,000. 3,000 die on that day. Now, every year after that, they celebrate still Pentecost as a feast. God told them to celebrate the giving of the law this 50 days after. So, at Passover, the Lamb, Jesus, crucified, slain, salvation occurs. 50 days later, the day they celebrate the giving of the law, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit descends with a loud noise and with tongues of fire. God writes his law on the hearts of men and women. And 3,000 people are saved. Do you think this kind of just like washed over the Jews who were there? Like, oh, isn't that such a coincidence? No, they knew well what had occurred. Something new. It's because the Old Testament giving of the law, that, that, that covenant that God had made in the law, now this is the new covenant. What, by the way, what is the new covenant? It's the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. His coming, His power, His presence in our in our lives. Peter gets up and says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is a, a fulfillment of the prophet Joel, who is hundreds of years earlier declared that this is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all people, because prior to this, the Holy Spirit was just poured out on individuals for specific tasks. But now he's come for all people. Fulfillment of the prophet, Jeremiah. I, I'm trying to show you that this is the promise fulfilled. In Jeremiah, he says, The time is coming, God says, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. A new covenant is coming. I'm promising it. Here it is. This is it. This is what the prophet spoke about, the coming of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the, the Feast of Pentecost was also, it had kind of a dual purpose, the celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. It also fulfilled, it was also a, the Feast of First Fruits. So that in, as part of the celebration, they would bring a first fruit of the harvest to say the harvest is coming. The harvest is coming. And the Spirit of God, as you can imagine, is the first fruit. He's the promise. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Peter, Peter is saying, all those things promised through the Feast of Pentecost, the giving of the law, the coming of the law on our hearts, the first fruit, this, what you see today, when the people said, what does this mean? Peter is saying, this is that. This is that. The promise is for you and your children, hallelujah, for all who are far off. That's us. We're the far off ones. All who are far off. 
for all whom the Lord our God will call. See, this is really important to me, to us, I believe to the church. You see, I, I believe that if, if the devil can't keep you from coming into relationship with God, he will try and keep you from living a spirit-filled, empowered life. He will minimalize you. He will, he'll take you out of the game. And how's he going to do that? By trying to make you live the Christian life out of your own strength. That's not the gospel. The gospel is such great news that you can only do this by the power of God who indwells you. George Barna, a couple of years ago, who's a church researcher, interviewed almost 2,000 evangelical Christians. Now, these are, this is not the world. These are people who say, I'm a follower, a church-going person. He tried to get a, a core group who go to church on a regular basis in evangelical churches. 78% of them believe that God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who rules the world today. Now, first of all, I don't know what the other 22% believe who call themselves evangelical Christian, but just stay with me because the news is going to get worse. 40% believe that Satan is not a living being but only a symbol of evil. We're not even going to acknowledge. Yeah, it's just a symbol. You know, sure, there's bad stuff, but he's just a symbol. This is what's astonishing. 58% either strongly agreed or somewhat agreed with this statement. The Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's power or presence, but is not a living entity. <clears throat> this is crucial. The Spirit of God is not a holy it. He's a holy who. He's a person. He's a person. And his person and power indwells us to live the Christian life. And, and how much more could the enemy take us out of the game than to not believe he's real, and even more so not to believe that the Spirit of God is real, a person who indwells us. And that we, we want to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith because it is his presence that indwells us. He's a promise that's been fulfilled, but it's his, his presence that indwells us. And it's a, a Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know you are God's temple? Well, how are we God's temple? We're God's temple because God's Spirit lives in us. God's Spirit lives in you. God kept his promise, his presence. When the nation of Israel forsook God, he removed his presence from the temple. If you remember the tabernacle, the temple, that's where God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. But because of their disobedience, their continued disobedience and rejection of his first law, he removes his presence from the temple. But now, on the day of Pentecost, what's happened is God's presence is being poured out. And it's not restricted to this building that occurred before. The veil of the temple, the separation was torn in two symbolizing that God's presence is coming in us and we can come into God's presence. His presence indwells us. Key passage for us as a church is Ephesians 3, 16 and following. 
This is where we get our vision statement, um, encounter, experience, expand, the love of Jesus Christ, the power of spirit, uh, the spirit, the fullness of God. Uh, you'll, you'll have heard those. You'll see it out in the foyer. And we'll talk about that more in the days ahead. But, but look at what he's saying about his presence indwelling us, just in that angle, in this passage. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being. In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell, where? In your hearts, through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Where is this taking place? In me. In me. His presence indwells me. The person of the Holy Spirit fills me up to overflowing. It happens in my inner being. It's as if I have a glass of air, and I say to you, hey, get all the air out of this glass. Get it all, just take all the air out. How are you going to get the air out? Well, you get it out by putting something else in. How am I going to get me out of the way? Well, I'm going to do it by the Spirit of God filling me up to overflowing. Listen, <laughs> I, I don't know how to say this. You can't suck all of you out of you. I mean, the more you do it, the more frustrated you're going to become the more hopeless an endeavor it is. But if you put him in you, his power in you, and filling you, it's going to push you, so to speak, not the personality or not, you know, your sense of humor or, you know, not you in this, that sense, but your flesh, the stuff, the sin nature is going to be pushed out because his power is going to indwell us. That should be good news, right? Great news. How do I live the Christian life? It's not by me taking more of me out of me. It's by receiving his power that indwells me. And as a result, his people, us, get empowered. We become empowered. I just read to you Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, verse 20, the passage I close with every week says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power. That is at work where? Within us. This is the reason I speak this over us every week. This is not just some benediction that is meaningless. It is, it is the essence of the Christian life that we can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine because we're God's empowered people. His power indwells us. His power fills us up to overflowing. What does that look like? Well, it looks like whatever the Spirit wants it to look like when he comes. Here's the catch. Too often, we... We think God's empowered people are going to look like this. So what we do is we try to manufacture this 
as if it's this that makes the Spirit of God come. Are, are you following me? So if I said to you, hey, if we all jump up and down, then the Spirit of God is going to come. Because that's what we've seen somebody in the past do who's filled with the Spirit of God. They jump up and down. Oh, that must, that must have got the Spirit here, me jumping up and down. No, here's the deal. The deal is that God's people empowered will look like whatever the Spirit of God wants them to look like when he comes. And it may be different for different people. It may be different for a different congregation. It's not the act, so to speak, that leads to the empowerment. It's the empowerment that leads to the act. Do you understand the difference? We can't manipulate the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. But what we want to do is we want to be as empowered people. So for those of us also who are a little more skeptically inclined, what happens is we see people acting in a certain way who are empowered by the Spirit. And we're like, dude, I am not acting like that. I am not going to do that. And as a result, we reject the Spirit of God because we're, we're limiting saying, Holy Spirit, you can only do this in my life. Here's my limit to what you can do. We are God's people empowered according to his power that is at work within us. Gordon Fee says that the living God is a God of power. And by the Spirit, the power of the living God is present with us and for us. And what does the Spirit of God do when he comes? Well, the body gets united. We become one. We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or speak. How are we baptized? Well, we could talk about the water baptism because that's where most people think church unity comes. But really what he's saying is we are baptized by one spirit. The Spirit of God brings unity to the body of Christ. How does the world know that we are followers of Jesus Christ? Just follow this logical step with me, just for one second. How does the world know that we're followers of Jesus Christ? By the love we have for one another. How do we love one another? By the Spirit of God. If I'm the devil, how am I going to get you not to love each other? Take the Spirit of God out of the equation. Because, why? I am not strong enough to love you in my own strength. I, I wish I could say I was. You know, really. I wish I would say, I'm such a good person. I just love all you people. But honestly, no, not, you know. I mean, I like you plenty good. I, you know, it's just in my own strength. It's just not going to happen. I'm such a self-centered, self-loving jerk that I'm not going to love you like I should apart from the power and presence of the Spirit of God. Take the Spirit of God out of the equation and all I have left is my own agenda. You don't meet my agenda, you don't meet my goals, you don't meet my stuff, boom, you're out. I mean, really, some of us are better than others, but the body is united by the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God comes upon us, we're united, we love one another, the world knows we're his disciples. Is it possible that the gospel is being 
relegated to the back burners of American society because the church can't get along because the church has disavowed its relationship with the Spirit of God. Fruit is manifested. Fruit is manifested. Every person here filled with the Spirit should be manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. I mean, that's how we get the fruit of the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit that indwells us. His empowering presence. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I'm like, wow, that's really strong. Paul sees no... He, he, Paul, Paul is not trying to be legalistic here. Paul just sees no room for this dual thing to operate. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're gratifying the fruit of the Spirit. You're going with the fruit of the Spirit. You're not gratifying the, the nature of the sinful flesh. You might turn around and say, well, what if I am gratifying the nature of the sinful flesh? Well, Paul would probably say, and I'll go with Paul, look at your Spirit-empowered life. Are you being filled with the power and person of the Holy Spirit? Gifts are released. We're going to talk about this in two weeks, specifically spiritual gifts. Now, to, to whom has spiritual gifts been given? Hello? Read this. Each one. Each one. means every single person here has been given some gift of the Spirit. Manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Worship is inspired. We are the circumcision who worship how? Without the Spirit of God, worship is just merely a human endeavor. It's a show. It is not God-breathed. By the way, I'm not getting into this, but do you know that every reference um, word in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the, the word for spirit in the Old Testament is ruach, Hebrew. It means breath. Numa in the New Testament we translate it spirit, also means breath. Inspiration is breathing, inspire, breathing. How do we do this spiritually? By the Spirit of God. It is the breath of God that enables our worship. Are you following me? Do you agree that the Spirit of God is important to who we are? On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. I have people ask me, are we Pentecostal? And I want to say, how can you be anything but Pentecostal? Because to me, to be Pentecostal means I, I receive the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, to most people, Pentecostal means, are, have you been baptized with the Holy Ghost and the speaking in tongues? like with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I want to say, you know, in that sense, no, I'm not Pentecostal, but I am Pentecostal in that apart from the power and presence of the Spirit of God, I am unenabled to live the Christian life. And some people look down on the person and work of the Holy Spirit like, oh, you know, you believe that, that, that Jesus was salvation, but then there's this second experience with the Holy Spirit. There's the doctrine of what's called subsequence a subsequent experience, like I'm saved and then I'm filled. 
look, no, I, I believe that I should be filled the moment I'm saved. I, I, don't, I can't come to God apart from the Spirit of God. I, I don't understand the dynamic that everything takes place. And some people will then look at you and say, because you believe in the Holy Spirit, you think that makes you better than me. I heard this great quote by Chris Hodges at, at a conference two weeks ago. He said this, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. Is that not great? You should write that down. And you can say to people, my pastor said this if you want, but it was really Chris um, <laughs> who said it a couple of weeks ago because it's so true. It doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. How do we get there filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me just give you some very quick steps, and then we're going to pray. First is admit your thirst. Jesus says in John, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Why? For the scripture declares that rivers of living water will flow out from within. And he clarifies, John does. He says, when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. He's, he's talking about the spirit of God coming. In us. How do you get the Spirit of God? Admit your thirst. Start by saying you're thirsty. You're not. How hard is that to say you're thirsty? You know, you stop and say, well, I don't know. You know, I'm sure I got to do something. Just start with thirst. Admit you're thirsty. And then let go of your fears and misperceptions about what will happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the one that got me. I'll just testify real quick. Raised Baptist, came from a Baptist background, told over and over again in my early, hey, don't, if you, if you go with, people didn't say the Holy Spirit, but they basically said, if you go with these people, you're going you're gonna to go off the deep end. And you don't want to be there. You don't want to be off the deep end. Because, you know, the implication was you'll die, you'll drown, something bad will happen, you'll turn into a weirdo. So you get these fears and misconceptions about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And only when I came to a place where I said my thirst was greater than my fear, was I able to let go of my fears and misconceptions about the person and work of the Holy Spirit and receive what he wanted me to do. I mean, we, we like this verse, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen to God for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who's going to keep you on track. So think about this. If we believe that the Holy Spirit is God's presence that indwells us, what do we have to be afraid of? Oh, he's going to make me do, he's going to make me jump up and down. He's going to make me speak in unknown tongues. He's going to make me go to Africa. He's going to make... I, I don't think God makes you do anything. He fills you with power and your presence, and you respond to him. Let go of your fears. Trust God. Trust God. And this leads me to the next point. Go all in. Go, go all in. Why, why live the Christian life? halfway why live it kind of sporadically 
When you come looking for me, God says in Jeremiah, you'll find me. When? Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. How do we get there? Go all in. Quit holding back stuff for yourself. You've got stuff to lose. I've found that people who have a lot to lose are the least likely to go all in. But it's a lie. Because you lost it already. You know, I mean, really. You think it's yours, but you don't get to take it when you die. So it's not really yours. It's not really your children's. It's not go all in. Develop an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. Look at this passage from 2 Corinthians. It says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. How can you have fellowship with an it? How can you have friendship with an it? You can't. It's got to be the person, the amazing grace. This is the way the message says the same passage. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. A.W. Tozer said this, spell this out in capital letters, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not enthusiasm. He is not courage. He is not energy. He is not the personification of all good qualities like Jack Frost is the personification of cold weather. Actually, the Holy Spirit is not the personification of anything. He has individuality. He is one being and not another. He has will and intelligence. He has hearing. He has knowledge and sympathy and ability to love and see and think. He can hear, speak, desire, grieve, and rejoice. He is a person. I want to encourage you today to receive the person of the Holy Spirit. Let go. Admit your thirst. Let go of your fears, go all in, have a fellowship, friendship with the Holy Spirit. I I will promise you this, it will so radically change your life when you have an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit, you'll wonder how you lived any other way. You'll, You'll taste the water of life and you'll thirst for nothing else. It's what God has called us to be. How is fullness going to be the church that God called us to be? Only by the power and presence of the Spirit of God. If you're here today and you've never been, you know, never really released, seen a release of the power of the Spirit in your life and you'd like for me to pray for you, Or maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, Pastor, I've done this before, but somewhere along the line I just leaked and I need a fresh filling of the power of the Spirit today. If you would acknowledge, I've been trying to do this on my own, not by the Spirit's power, but my own, but today I want to release myself to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not even going to have you close your eyes. I'm not going to, I just want you to come down front. If you want prayer to receive the Holy Spirit, for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to ask everybody to stand, but those who want prayer to come down front.
Anybody else? Here's one of the things. I think by coming front, you're saying I'm thirsty. You're admitting your thirst. That's the first step. If you're a guest, maybe first time here, but you'd like us to pray, just kind of spread out a little bit, give people a little room there. Feel free to come. This is not just for members of fullness. This is for anybody who wants. Okay, hold out your hands before the Lord right now. I want to encourage you to admit your thirst before the Lord. Just in your own, own words. Just say, Lord, I'm thirsty. Go ahead, say it out loud. I mean, just speak it to him. Admit your thirst before him.